Welcome and thank you for tuning in to A Sound Constitution on CHLY 101.7 FM with Ryan, Matt, Emily, Aminder, Alicia, and Matthew. We are third-year BSN students at Vancouver Island University in Nanaimo, BC. We are working to demystify health issues affecting our community, bringing you evidence-based information about healthcare. This information is for educational purposes only and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare provider. We would like to start our show by acknowledging that we are on the unceded territory of the Snanamo people. Hello everyone, I am Aminder Kaur. And I'm Matthew. We are the third year BSN students and you're listening to CHLY 101.7 FM. So today we will be focusing on what we feel in our day-to-day life and that is anxiety. The reason why we chose this topic is because it's the most relatable subject we have. It is our body's natural response to stress. So before we begin, what is the difference between anxiousness and anxiety? Let's start off from describing the difference between being anxious and anxiety. What does this mean when people say, I'm anxious? And what does it mean when people say, I have anxiety? So Aminder, what do you think? Do they both mean the same? Well, they both sound similar, don't they? Let's clear it up. When you say you're feeling anxious, that simply means that you are being concerned about something. It means that you're worried or stressed because of maybe upcoming exams, some test results, job interview, giving a speech, buying a new house or a new property, presenting the show for the first time. You never know what makes you feel anxious. That's what we say. That's called, I am anxious. Well, that sounds about right. If you have to put this into medical terms, how will you describe it? Well, to put that into medical terms, I would say to be anxious, it means feeling uneasy and worried, but not always with a specific focus. Being anxious can mean that you are very eager. So that that was all about what we call being anxious. So what does it mean when people say, I have anxiety? It means a constant worry. It is chronic. You have it in you all the time. So do you have an example of that? Yeah. So, for example, if you were expecting a call from someone and for some reason they forgot to call you and you start to analyze the stuff in your head like, oh, that person might don't like you. They, you don't deserve to be called. Or like in other words, feelings range from butterflies in your stomach to a racing heart. You might feel out of control, like there is a disconnect between your mind and body. While in other ways, people experience anxiety include nightmares, panic attacks, painful thoughts or memories that you cannot even control. Wow. So here is a clear difference. Feeling anxious is our body's natural response to stress and it causes people to feel fearful and nervous. Whereas anxiety is it is extreme. It can last longer than even six months. It interferes with your life. So listeners... If you have experienced any of these feelings before, please stay tuned on today's episode on CHLY 101.7 FM because we will be having a thorough discussion on today's episode. We will bring ideas on how to cope with anxiety. Later in this segment, we are pleased to have Mark Johnson joining us to discuss about anxiety. He is a Bachelor of Science Nursing Professor at Vancouver Island University and he is experienced in mental health. So stay tuned.
So now we will discuss the causes of anxiety. All right, Matthew, what do you think are the causes? What causes anxiety? The causes of anxiety are complex as they depend on various physiological, genetic, and environmental factors. Oh, what are these physiological causes of anxiety? Well, in some cases, anxiety is related to, un to an underlying physical cause. Mm -hmm. Medical causes of anxiety include heart disease, diabetes, hyperthyroidism, mm -hmm. COPD, asthma, chronic pain, and withdrawal from alcohol, as well as withdrawal from certain medications. Mm, wow. So what do you think are the indicators that the anxiety is caused by a medical condition? Is if you don't have any family members with anxiety, you did not have anxiety as a child, and you don't, and you don't avoid things because of your anxiety. Your occurrence of anxiety is unrelated to your life events. Hmm. Okay. If you don't experience those events, then it's environmental? Yes. If a medical condition is ruled out, then there, is an, then there are environmental factors that lead to anxiety. And there are several risk factors that can lead to anxiety disorders developing. Huh. What do you think are the risk factors? Do, do they start in the childhood? Yes. If a child receives abuse or trauma or experiences traumatic events, as they, they are at higher risk of developing an anxiety disorder. However, adults who experience traumatic events can develop anxiety disorders as well. Hmm. So what do you think is the scope of initiating these anxiety disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, in regards to post-traumatic stress disorder, which we'll go more in depth in a future episode, is most common in survivors of sexual assault, warfare, a serious illness, and motor vehicle accidents. As well, stress buildup from work or loss of loved ones can trigger an excessive anxiety. Hmm, yeah. Well, certain personality types are most prone to anxiety, in particular with people who are high in neurotic traits. Yeah, for sure. Also, having family members, such as parents with anxiety, increases the risk of a person developing an anxiety disorder. As well, drug and alcohol misuse and withdrawal from these substances can cause or worsen anxiety symptoms. That's huge. Finally, anxiety is usually comorbid with other mental illnesses, most commonly depression. As the saying goes, anxiety and depression are very close friends. Yeah, that's right. So anxiety is very complex in its own origin. So what do you think could be the complications of these disorders? Yeah, so anxiety is wide-ranging in its causes. However, it leads to various complications. Um, these complications include things like insomnia, depression, substance abuse, social isolation, poor functioning at work, and at worst case, suicidal thoughts. Oh my God. If you are suffering from insomnia and work stress, we'll be discussing coping mechanisms later in the episode. If you're having suicidal thoughts, then it's important to reach out to a close friend or family member. Call the Vancouver Island Crisis Line, one 494 and talk with a mental health care provider about these thoughts. Well, how should health care providers support treatment for anxiety? Well, with these complexities and anxiety, it's important that health care providers basically tailor their treatment mm -hmm. that addresses the underlying cause of these issues. Mm -hmm. And this can't just be with medication, but it also has to be through psychosocial therapies. Psychosocial therapies include counseling, talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and relapse prevention, diet, and physical exercise is important. According to a study from the Mayo Clinic, yeah. as well, it's also important to get help early. So what do you think, uh, like, how does anxiety and its contributors change through a person's life? Well, as a person moves through the stages of life, 
the factors that contribute to their anxiety will change. Mm -hmm. So when you're a child and your significant relationship is with your family and school friends, of course. Yeah. An unstable household, for example, can generate a lot of anxiety in a child, which can affect their performance in school and constrain their ability to make friends. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's important that a child has a solid home life so they can feel safe as they're trying to make their way through the world of people and things. Some barriers people have in providing a solid home life for children include financial insecurity, substance abuse, domestic violence, and single parenthood. And when you grow into an adolescent, you will try to establish an identity amongst your peers and determine your role in the community. You will wonder who you are, what you could become. However, these significant roles and social relationships they are in can lead to anxiety and developing as they are trying to fit in with their peers and are confused about what they want to become in life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And this psychological dilemma carries into young adulthood until people become content with how they fit in the world. You know, in young adulthood, a foundational goal is to develop romantic relationships in conjunction with our roles and identities through our careers and friends. Mm -hmm. A great source of anxiety for young people is a crisis of intimacy and isolation. The joy and pleasure of having an intimate romantic relationship with another human being and the anxiety about losing that connection. And with this loss, a person can return to a, a state of pain, angst of, from the isolation. For some people, rejection or breaking off a relationship is so painful that their egos cannot bear it, mm -hmm. leading to a state of psychological darkness. Yeah. This can generate a lot of anxiety and worry in people, triggering or contributing to an anxiety or depressive episode. I think this is why social engagement is so important to curb the stress response cycle, leading to a healthier mind and potential to build positive relationship with others. Fundamentally, humans are social animals. We need to be around others in both friendly and intimate ways to keep our self-esteem self up and our anxieties under control. As well, we need to have well-defined roles to give purpose in our lives. Mm -hmm. As we transition to middle age, for example, this purpose becomes our defining psychological focus. For people that don't feel fulfilled in middle age and their life feels stagnated or becoming anxious or nostalgic for their younger selves, this anxiety can cause people to make irrational decisions, usually resulting in a midlife crisis. While going through midlife crisis can help a person reconnect with themselves and develop an appreciation for what they have achieved reconnecting them with their relationships and careers. Others may need counseling or therapy to help them reconnect with or create contentment. However, this can transfer as a person grows into older adulthood. And also, I think they may become anxious about their life approaching its end, the physical alignments that are arising and the regrets they have about certain events in their earlier life. Absolutely. Yeah. And the loss of loved ones at this age can lead to subsequent loneliness and can generate a lot of anxiety in older adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is why it's important to create new meaningful social connections. that are, sh And these are shown to help older adults cope with struggles and avoid going down a path of anxiety and depression. That's why it's so important to fund community groups and other civic organizations for older adults to take part in. For example, physical activity like water yoga or, uh, I mean, water polo mm -hmm. and uh, swimming or, you know, lawn bowling or things that are going for into walking groups. Like, that's why it's so important for older adults to, like, 
engage in these things and also keeps their mind active uh, so, you know, they don't, you know, go into a state where their mind is making themselves more prone to things like dementia. They're keeping their mind active. Yeah, like keeping them uh, engaged with something, keeping them distracted. It really helps. Absolutely. And this can, like, you know, distract from any anxieties that might be triggering them from the environment. That's right. I agree. You are listening to A Sound Constitution on CHLY 1017 FM. Before we get back to Matthew and Aminder, I have some quick facts about the coronavirus for you. According to the BC CDC, the risk of spread of this virus within British Columbia is low at this time. Island Health and British Columbia are prepared to quickly and accurately detect and respond to serious infectious diseases. Although masks are effective in preventing others from getting sick when you are sick, masks are not shown to be effective in everyday use from preventing you from getting sick. Medical masks should always be worn blue side out if you are sick. The best way to protect yourself from any outbreak, including flu, cold, or this coronavirus, is to enact proper hand washing for at least 20 seconds and to take care of yourself, manage your stress, get lots of sleep, and eat as healthily as possible. I'd like to remind everybody that we all play a role in dispelling rumors that may lead to inappropriate discrimination. Only people who are experiencing symptoms may transmit an illness. It is not related to race or ethnicity. It is important to check authoritative resources on information on the coronavirus or any other outbreak for respiratory illnesses, such as the Public Health Agency of Canada or the BC CDC. So let's discuss the signs and symptoms of anxiety. Well, signs and symptoms of anxiety are feeling restlessness. Feelings of danger, panic. Rapid heart rate. Rapid breathing. Muscle twitching or trembles. Difficulty focusing or thinking clearly about anything other than the thing you're worried about. Difficulty concentrating, which results in poor grades. Staying home. Social barriers. Not making friends easily self-esteem issues, etc. Insomnia is also a sign of anxiety as well. Yeah. Other than that, like digestive disorders like gas, constipation, diarrhea, these are all signs and symptoms of anxiety. Coping with an anxiety disorder can be a challenge. Here are some things you can do to make it easier. Number one is time management. Time can help reduce your anxiety and help you make the most of your treatment. So how will you do it? When it comes to me, how I manage my time, you know what I do? Personally, I like to write things down. If I have like, if there's so much going on, I would start off by writing it like either in my notebook, in my phone, on a calendar. If I have things organized 
and I know which one is due first and which one is farther. It helps with my time management and and definitely it reduces your anxiety. Absolutely. That sounds really good. So what do you do if you have to manage your time? My anxiety? Well, I like to make a list of everything that's coming up so I can mm-hmm. like have some visualization of what tasks have to be done in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, exactly. And then to like cope with like immediate anxiety, I like to do things like go for a run because like when you're running, your body reduce, releases hormones called endorphins and these are basically um, it's actually really interesting. They basically attach to the opioid receptors in your brain and help improve your mood naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why. And they also decrease um, cortisol in your system, which makes you feel better as yeah, well. Yeah, that's that's here we are talking nursing school stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, every semester, like at the beginning of every semester, I feel like, oh, my God, this is too much. But when when I go home, I go through all classes. I go through all the outlines, all the schedule. And I start writing down, like, every subject, every due date of every assignment, every midterm, every exam. And you know what? What I feel? Relaxed. Absolutely. I do the same thing. I use actually an app on my phone called, like, Wonderlist. And it's actually really helpful. Oh, it is? Yeah, and it sends you reminders. And you can even have it repeat every week what's going on. Oh, it's I, also I, interesting I that you can actually like do. There's also many different apps, resources on the app store, mm-hmm. things that will like ask you daily questions. Like there's a there's an app called Mood Path mm. that I use, and it basically asks you how you're feeling, and it can basically plot and track your mood throughout the day over the course of weeks. Oh wow! And it'll give you like indicators saying here is a possible trigger for this feeling of sadness or this feeling of stress, etc. Yeah, I agree with that. Like writing it down, making a list of it, going for a run, such exercises, like it actually helps reduce your anxiety. And it's important to note, like you don't actually have to go for a run. Like let's say you can even go for a walk and that can also, re- you yeah, know, improve yeah. your mood as well because yeah. not everybody wants to go running and sprinting, We feel right? like, okay, we are already in a busy semester and, and we think, okay, to reduce our anxiety, we'll go for a run, we start to make goals. But... In reality, we actually do not have time. So we think, oh, my goodness, I did not get to go for a run. And then we start to feel anxious about it. So what other things we can do? There, are, You can do your favorite stuff. For example, if it comes to me, I listen to my music. If I cannot listen to my music, I would like listen to one or two songs just before going to bed. Or even watching some TV. Oh, yeah, shows. Oh, my God, yeah. But one thing that's really important to note is make sure that you don't do it in bed. Because if you are watching TV in bed, your brain subconsciously thinks that the bed is associated with being awake. And it can contribute to insomnia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to know. Yeah. So you want to separate entertainment from your bedroom. So that's why I have it in a separate room Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, taking a nap sometimes, it also helps. Like you are like so worried, but giving a rest to your brain is a great source. In the midday. Oh, yeah. But I heard that don't have a nap after 3 p.m. Because if you have it after 3 p.m., it's going to throw off your circadian rhythm at night and you won't sleep properly at night. So you mean if you want to take a nap during the day, take it before 3 p.m., not after. Early afternoon would be a good time. That's what I've read. Uh huh. So there's a research on it, hey? Yes, there is. Also, being social and avoid isolating yourself from friends and family can actually make your anxiety worse. So make plans with people you like spending time with. Don't let your anxiety take control of your life. 
if you feel overwhelmed. Break up your day by taking a walk or doing something that will direct your mind away from all the worries and fears you're feeling. Absolutely. It's important to break things up. Yeah. Don't have your mind get too wrapped up in your immediate, you know, Mm -hmm. current stress, like have it or get wrapped up in worrying about the future. So taking breaks, let's say you're studying and you're worried about the test coming up, going for a walk and taking a break will help you. And as as I said, like doing your favorite activity, like listening to music, taking a bubble bath, dancing, taking a nap before 3 p.m. as you said. And dancing has the movement. (laughs) And talking to your friend. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important for you to like increase your knowledge base of anxiety and learning about your condition and exploring treatments that are available so you can make appropriate decisions about Mm -hmm. your treatment in conjunction with your healthcare provider. So make sure you journal and have a conversation with your doctor on what is best for you, what fits your life the best, or also nurse practitioners, mental health counselors, etc. Yeah, it's very important to be knowledgeable and also being consistent with it. Yes. Yeah. Following your treatment plan and uh, sticking with your mental health provider's recommendations mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah, following the resources. Yes, and make mm-hmm. sure you attend all your appointments with them so you can get as much information as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these will also help all help decrease your anxiety symptoms over time. As well, uh, writing out a journal of your feelings and experiences, it will help provide valuable information for your self-awareness. Once you have a self-awareness on what triggers your anxiety, you should practice coping the strategies. Do you agree? Absolutely. And like, not only that, it also provides you like more mindfulness on what you are experiencing on a daily basis. So Mm. you can know when you need to implement those coping strategies and understanding what triggers are going to be for that. And then noticing like, okay, am I capable of going to deal with this trigger right now? Am I going to expose myself and try to work through it? Or am I going to have to go do some more um, capacity building for myself Mm. in order to deal with it in the future? So there are resources available in Nanaimo. Uh, These resources, um, they help people to cope with anxiety. And other than that, joining the support groups where you can share your experience and hear from others who deal with the anxiety disorders. Also, NARSF Counseling, which is Nanaimo, and Area Resource Services for Families. And as we mentioned earlier, contacting your healthcare provider is must. Discussing your situation with your close friends and your family. Also, booking an appointment with your counselor, either at school or at work. Whatever works the best for you. And as we say, we actually mean it. It's okay not to be okay. It is just as important as your physical health. Taking a treatment for your mental health challenge is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Going through with a therapy is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of courage. If you are tuning in right now into a sound constitution on CHLY 101.7 FM, I am Matthew. And I am Aminder. We are third-year nursing students at Vancouver Island University, and today we are discussing anxiety and how it affects people's daily lives and building strategies to cope and work through this condition. So now we will be having a discussion with Mark Johnson about anxiety in our communities. He is a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing professor 
in Vancouver Island University and his experience Hello. in mental Good morning. health. morning. I'm Matthew Bertolucci here at the Sound Constitution and we are being joined with Mark Tionson and today we're going to have an interview about anxiety and how it affects our communities and our society at large. Good morning, Mark. Hey, man, what's going on? I was going pretty good. Yourself? Good, 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 good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. Um, I'd like to start off with, um, as a mental health nursing professional, what do you see as the biggest misconception around anxiety? Uh, I think the general public has this misconception and actually a stigma towards anxiety that uh, everybody deals with stress, everybody deals with anxiety, kind of get over it. Um, but what people don't understand that there is, with clinical anxiety, there is associated trauma or um, as well as chemical imbalances that affects the way the person functions um, that creates it to be like a mental illness and I think people stigmatize that that they deal with their own stress and anxiety why can't they get over it um, but the lack of understanding that there is predisposition to mental illness um, that's kind of nature nurture affected in terms of people are born with it uh, or they they develop it because of trauma in their lives. Okay. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Um, so when it comes to anxiety, what does anxiety for an individual typically look like? What would you suggest people look for in themselves to be able to reflect on their anxiety mm -hmm. and their ability to cope with it? Um, so it can look like very different in, 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 in different people, right? There's people that kind of have that outgoing expressions of anxiety with shortness of breath, um, difficulty focusing, um, sweating, uh, increased heart rate. And then there's also people that become more introverted and kind of isolated with anxiety. And so um, what anxiety looks like is that it it's affects your daily functioning, right? right? Your ability to go to school, ability to have relationships, ability to learn, ability to focus. Um, so it's, 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 it can have varying um, symptoms and looks, but it's how anxiety um, affects your daily functioning. Right. So like when you go into that more introverted state, then you have a hard time reaching out for people. For sure. And then it just snowballs and becomes more. For sure. Along with the stigma we talked about yeah. in your first question, um, people are less willing to reach out right. for for help with anxiety just because of feelings of they, people might characterize them as weak or um, different um, when really anxiety, clinical anxiety is dealing with chemical imbalances and trauma. Um, that is just like that. That's that's a significant medical disorder, right? Okay, it's good to know that um, What challenges with managing anxiety exist for adolescent populations versus university students so adolescents versus young adults um, I think Social media obviously has a, a big impact on anxiety um, with this generation of, of children and adolescents um, things like um, likes and self-esteem value to likes um, filters and how it changes your personality I'm sorry your your your, your characteristics your facial characteristics um, things of like how many friends you like or people's perception of you I think is a great greatly contributing to teenagers anxiety um, coupled with a lack of resources to kind of combat some of the increased stressors we have with social media. Um, I don't think we're gonna be moving away from social media or technology. Um, it's not, it's simply a more, it's simply bigger than people's responses than why don't you just go play outside. I think 
we have to kind of go with the times and that we are moving towards more technology-based and a lot of the jobs in the future are going to be technology-based and with social media. Um, so I think that plays a, a huge impact, especially the sexualization um, of social media uh, and how it's affecting the accessibility to pornography. Um, so this is not necessarily just anxiety, but um, mental illness in general, there's a higher factors of stress related with adolescents, to, in my personal opinion. Um, university students, uh, I think in British Columbia, um, university students are placed in, um, in the Lower Mainland and Vancouver Island just with the increasing rent and the, 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 the prices in the housing market creates an increased level of stress and increased need for completion and success. Um, and I see a lot of nursing school, right? Um, a lot of fail, a lot of feelings of, f uh, feel, sorry, failure, feelings of uh, fear of failure, right? And a big part of it is because of the fact that a lot of your, what's happening now greatly affects your ability to afford rent, afford a house. Like one of the basic necessities that you guys talk about in your social determinants of health, right? right? Um, so I see a lot of stress um, that I ne necessarily didn't see previously um, because of the fact that housing was affordable. And if you look at, look at the nursing wages, what it was 10 years ago, um, it's relatively similar versus compared to the to rental rates in the housing market. And that would stress me out, knowing that as a nursing student or as a university student that the wages haven't even matched um, inflation for your guys' generation. Um, so there is a worry that I'm going to have this job, but is it necessarily going to be enough to pay my rent? I think that would cause me great anxiety on top of the pressures of nursing school that is already faced, right? Um, pressures from family, pressures of the fact that you guys are actually working on real people. I say this quite a bit in terms of the anxiety of nursing school where you, you read something that you're assigned on the weekend you learn about it in in school from a teacher on Tuesday. Um, you do you do a test on it on Wednesday. You practice it in lab, and then Thursday, Friday, you do it on a real person, and then you right. do that every single week. It's, and you can't forget what you learned on the weekend because it might be appropriate or it might be applicable to something that you're learning in week four. So it's not like you can forget. And it just accumulates, accumulates, and at any given point of that, you you can fail. Yeah. Right. So I think we build a lot of anxiety in our program because of that. Um, but, and also at the same time, we're, nurses have a lot of responsibility, and I think we're trying to build that, and you guys understand that, that as a nurse, when you guys graduate, you guys got a lot of responsibility. Right, yeah, for sure. And so it seems like these like big, major socioeconomic mm -hmm. um, effects are causing an increase in anxiety, because recently there's been a lot of talk in our media and our pop popular culture about how anxiety is increasing in our society as well as depression. Um, would you say that this is something that's m true on a like nationwide scale? Um, I wonder if people are also more willing to seek support for anxiety and depression. I know I talked about stigma initially but 
but is there a possibility of a decrease in stigma for yesterday we just had bell let's talk day right right and you guys are are doing this great initiative in this in discussion about mental health where we probably didn't have these kind of initiatives before right. so are people more willing to seek help um as well as do you know what I mean? Like, are people more willing to say that I'm struggling with yeah. these symptoms, I need help, versus a few, 10, 20 years ago, they were feeling more stigmatized. I know I'm kind of contradicting myself in terms of what, I've, what I'd said at the beginning about how there is, and there still is. Right. I mean, there still is a significant amount of stigma associated, but I think you guys, your generation is starting to do these initiatives where people are feeling more comfortable um, sharing some of their, their struggles. Um, but at the same time, like I talked about with social media um, and the housing prices and the rent market and just the different culture that we've we've have and the pressures that university students and adolescents have these days, I think definitely contributes to a lot more depression and anxiety. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to A Sound Constitution on CHLY 101.7 FM. Today, we have Mark Tianson, Master of Science in Nursing, Bachelor of Science in Nursing, Registered Nurse, and Professor from Vancouver Island University. Today, he's talking about anxiety with Matthew. resources would you direct clients if they are struggling with in managing or coping with their anxiety? Um, so I talked about how technology and not shying away from technology. I think there's a lot of great apps that since we do have access to smartphones and a lot of people are, are, are really um, dedicate a lot of time to their to their smartphones, I think using apps like um, uh, MindCheck okay is a good one um i know on like the apple iWatch there's a calm breathing one right i think if you have access to um cbt therapy um with with a counselor i know some extended health benefits allow that i think those are some great resources um, not just for people that are in the thick of anxiety but even if you're just for your own kind of mental balance and health balance, I think being able to incorporate those apps, um, some breathing techniques, um, prior to getting it to a full-blown um, clinical disorder is, is really important. Right. Okay. And I'm a, a big proponent of kind of exercise um, associated with any, um, as part of your whole ment mental and physical well well-being, I think, uh, exercise in your daily routine whether that's working out or going to going for walks or just some sort of activation yeah. um, increase in heart rate yeah. I think is, is vital increasing those endorphins yeah yeah um, how often do you think anxiety is diagnosed in a primary care setting do you feel we are missing people often and if so what would be your recommendation to catch more people and to help them 
Um, I think everybody that comes into the primary care setting is diagnosable with anxiety, right? There's different levels of it in terms of clinical mental illness type anxiety versus people coming into the hospital um, facing their own mortality for the first time, right? right. Saying the vulnerability of being in hospital, uh, the fact that being in those settings takes away a lot of your power. Um, I think a lot of our practices as nurses create anxiety and power over. Um, and so I think every single person that comes in your care, you should understand that they're dealing with anxiety. And so whether they're diagnosed or not, I think our approaches should incorporate the fact that this client has anxiety uh, and potentially because ha have had some sort of trauma um, in their lives that we could actually increase by our care. Right. So whether the, whether or not they're overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, I think the fact that we need to approach clients understanding that we are creating anxiety by just the fact that they're in our care in in the primary care health setting. Right, so being mindful of that and mm -hmm. working through it. What are some strategies you found helpful for someone to bring themselves out of an anxiety or panic attack? Mm -hmm. um, what are some things friends or loved ones could do to help them? So. Some of the things that we work on um, are things like grounding techniques, uh, progressive muscle relaxation, uh, emotive imagery, but those things don't work in the moment if you haven't practiced it on a regular daily basis. So when you're level 10 out of 10, your those strategies won't work if you haven't practiced it when you're a one, two, and three. Does that make sense? Right. Like you, you need it needs to be part of your daily routine. Not even if you have anxiety, these things should be be doing it in terms of um, people in general with that routine and structure of healthy eating habits, sleep, um, sleep routine, um, exercise, um, being connected to your social groups, um, social recreation, um, along with practicing these techniques. Um, it'd be difficult to say to someone in a full-blown panic, panic attack to say, why don't you try deep breathing when we haven't practiced it or helped them initiate that. So in that moment of those panic attacks, it's if they haven't had those practices, it's merely keeping them safe in the environment around them and being present with them, um, not increasing their anxiety by your anxiety increasing, by keeping kind of role modeling um, a low heart rate and being calm and assuring safety by providing grounding techniques yourself. So saying you're, you're in a safe place right now, I'm with you, um, you're, right now you're sitting on a chair, can you feel the chair? But those, those grounding techniques and emotive imagery and progressive muscle relaxation, deep breathing, all those practices have to be done on a regular basis. Um, just like practice, like practice yeah. in any sport, practice anything. Before the big game, you gotta practice, 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 practice. And so that's coupled with that structure I talked about with with uh, healthy eating, healthy sleep, healthy appetite, healthy energy. Um, yeah. So it's about building that capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What resources or services would you like to see implemented in Nanaimo and VIU area to help people with their anxiety and mental health challenges that are currently not available? Um. My background is in child and adolescent psychiatry, and I moved here from Vancouver. I'm hoping to, along with uh, teaching, um, being able to work in the field of child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, and um, it was a bit challenging to, to come to a place where um, 
I'm hoping to have a family one day. I see a lot of families and to not see the mental health resources for child and adolescents match the family mentality of Nanaimo in general. And so I think we need some more resources um, for all different phases in terms of prevention of mental health, in terms of social social gatherings, um, exercise programs, um, for children, youth, um, more like things like more skate parks, more all those all those kind of things, along with um, initiatives where children and I think we only have one child psychiatrist here in all of oh, wow. um, all of uh, the Naimo Central Island area um, that kind of deals with the acute. Um, um, psychiatry issues, and that's 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 an issue. I don't I don't not aware of any nurse practitioners. Um, there is no dedicated child and adolescent psychiatric unit at the moment. Um, so yeah, those services I think we need to build with Nanaimo and Central Island. Um, just the fact that it is a family oriented environment. Um, yeah, would that be through like government intervention, or would it be through building up? institutions like academic institutions so there is more child child psychiatrists graduating and becoming and setting up practice here I, I, th I think I don't know if the answer is necessarily having more child psychiatrists I think that would be helpful in terms of um, in the moment maybe decreasing some of the workload but we need the whole goal is probably to have less patients that right. are s struggling with um, clinical mental illnesses or trauma um, so we got to kind of look at what practices we have before that, before, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. And when it comes to these resources, what would be, like what is lacking and what could be improved on for older adults? Since there's so many moving out here for retirement. Mm, that's interesting. That's interesting. It's, um, it feels like in terms of the acute setting, what I've seen older adults are it's a challenge um, because they're being placed on medical units right um, we're not we're they're not necessarily equipped for psychiatric interventions based on their training um, and you'll see a lot of medication like old school first generation antipsychotics used to treat um, behavior and dementia um, for the fact that it is probably this it's because the environment they're in is not appropriate for someone with geriatric mental illnesses right and so and at the same time our psychiatric wards um, it's a specialty it's I think geriatric mental illnesses geriatric psychiatry is a specialty um, and that we don't have enough resources for that specialty we're kind of clumping them Right. in these different areas where people necessarily don't have the capacity or the environment or the training to care for this for this specialized group because we don't have a specialty area for them right and when we live in we live in such a diverse multicultural society do you think these resources are just became they're too generic they're not tailored to different cultures in applying mental health resources to them i th i think so i think i think a big part of it is um, not adhering to a lot of the like the fact that there is stigma in a lot of particular cultures more than kind of North American culture um, and being able to educate families 
that are immigrants of what mental illness is. I think that's a big part of um, moving forward that we have to do as a society. Kind of, it's the fact that we are going to have a lot more immigrants, and we are already a multicultural. Um, we focus a lot on kind of melting pot, kind of everybody in this culture versus a cultural mosaic of understanding other people's um, cultures and practices. Um, right. Yeah. And like how, like in the hospital, like everyone gets the same food. The food is not. Um, corresponding to different yeah. cultures. So that that the the uh, food um, availability for prayer, right? Um, clothing practices, right? Like we 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 kind of just unfortunately even in the hospital setting, it's it's a policy and safe practice to to for a lot of times for a lot of mental health clients to wear pajamas. Right. So you're already taking a lot of the cultural significance of kind of clothing. Um, away from these individuals who've already taken a lot of their rights. We've already taken a lot of rights away, yeah. right? So, yeah, it's definitely like I think it's minimizing, overpowering, mm-hmm. and making mm-hmm. people feel mm-hmm. less than, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's tough though because we can say these things, but it takes funding and money to be able to create some of these changes, right? Right, and mental health has historically been um, one of the most underfunded programs. Um, because of the stigma associated with it. Um, and so that's, that's definitely a challenge. You are listening to A Sound Constitution on CHLY 1017 FM. Today, we are talking about anxiety with Mark Tianzen, Master of Science in Nursing, Bachelor of Science in Nursing, Registered Nurse, and Vancouver Island University Professor. to like things like Bell Let's Talk and how there's so much more talk in our society and our popular culture, do you think that this talk is being backed up by action by institutions? That's interesting how you brought up Bell Let's Talk. Uh, just because I, I just learned some, I, uh, we, in the acute setting, we, we kind of had a discussion with the clients about their feelings about Bell Let's, Bell Let's Talk. Um, and a lot of them felt like it was f- they were feeling bombarded with with the initiative, um, that they challenged the fact that people needed to post about it, and a, a constant reminder. Um, and I think it speaks to the stigma they feel in general um, that we're not there yet, where people see Bellet's Health Talk and feel that it's supportive. Uh, I think people still feel that it is. Um, that we post about it, but what are we actually doing about it kind of thing. And it's a constant feeling of bombardment and the fact and, and in your face feelings of stigma and helplessness um, that that's cool. You get you post about it, but what are we actually kind of doing about it? I think people feel that way. Um, and that was news to me because I always thought it was a, this great initiative. And, and I'm sure and I'm sure there's a lot of components of it that are great because it gets, gets people talking. Right. right. Um, but what's after the talk? Right. 
And throughout your career, have you seen how people approach mental health differently in a professional setting? Like how it was 10 years ago, for example. Oh, my, even myself. Yeah. Right. Even the way I'm talking about right now versus what my understanding of mental health was. Right. My first understanding of what mental health was, um, I remember... I remember my mom taking me down the downtown east side as a as a growing up in um, an Asian immigrant household, and uh, my parents' understanding of mental illness was the was it was because of a character like it was a character flaw or a lack of education, right. or they didn't talk about how there's genetic predisposition or trauma, um, and so I remember going down the downtown east side with my mom, and I was struggling with school, um, and some behavioral issues and my mom saying this is what happens when you don't do good in school um, and that was that was what she truly believed um, because of the fact that that was passed down to her from generations and generations and so I'm, I'm happy to be that kind of break in that cycle with my family and my parents have a greater understanding um, of what mental illness is where it's not not going to school right it's uh, just with the trauma and the genetic predisposition to the point where I, I feel blessed that rather than feeling judgmental towards um, clients who struggle with mental illness because I have been blessed in my own life with with family and friends and support um, and without genetic predisposition and 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 th these individuals with mental illness kind of they're they've been given this this slate on top of the community um, lack of community support and stigma on top of that so people with mental illness are facing their own symptoms um, there's there there's a high incidence of po poverty associated with mental illness and top of that you're ha you're you're facing constant judgment from um, not only community but mental health practitioners or uh, medical professionals have been found to be the highest perpetrators of stigma themselves right and then also with like substance abuse that comes on top of that yep. that people use to cope with anxiety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, so, and 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 hopefully people are starting to understand too that substance abuse is not necessarily separate than mental health, right? It's we're connecting mental health and substance use together. Uh, MHSU services and Nanaimo is called mental health substance use services because there's a correlation between the two, right? right. There's a connection. People use because they're coping with um, mental illness. Um, just like how we 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 use coping strategies, right? Um, so there is definitely that connection um, with it. We're not kind of labeling as, as 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 separate. We're kind of we're understanding that substance use is a mental illness, right? And throughout your career working with nursing students, have you seen that nursing students are now more open to going into mental health settings compared to previously? Um, or how do you see nursing students approach uh, mental health? It's difficult when we only have seven weeks of mental health in terms of uh, your guys' clinical practice. Uh, VIU, I don't feel like we have enough dedicated mental health classes. Um, right. We don't have a psychiatric program um, as others, other uh, psychiatric nursing program, RPM program, as maybe other colleges. Um, so we have some kind of barriers to having more, and not necessarily just to be in mental health, but to have enough understanding that you're gonna deal with mental health in every single setting that you face as a nurse, and not having those judgments and, and, and stigmas and understanding of what mental health is, I think is difficult to do that. 
Um, and we're doing we're doing the best with what we can. But I think, and, and I'm biased. I'm obviously biased, and I'd, I'd love to advocate for more specific mental health courses and clinical time um, with nursing students. And then when, when it comes to like how mental health, like in the community, like a lot of people, when it comes to stigma, also face that from their employer. Um, do you think there's things that could happen on a governmental level to help protect people from losing their job or not being rehired as a result of mental health? Um, I think we need to do a better job. There's, I think employers are doing a better job of understanding that mental health and substance use, um, there's treatment available. I think we need to do a better job of, for instance, I know some organizations, um, they can support, but they'll only support if you adhere to a 12-step program. Um, Historically, 12-step programs don't have the greatest, highest rates of success um, because of the main goal of abstinence. Um, and there are a lot of other programs like the Smart Recovery Program that may be more suitable for, for clients or particular CBT training um, and, and psychotherapy rather than the 12 Steps program. And so I would like to see um, different occupations be more open to rather than making it mandatory for re-entry into the job force for one particular program. Right, make it more supportive instead of more like a punishment. Yeah, yeah, and I think we've, we've, we're working towards that, but I think this is, that would be the next step. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share regarding this mental health issue? Um, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are being so able to, to, to share this and kind of speak out, speak out about it. And um, I'm just, I'm happy to be part of it. So thank you guys for, for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a very, uh, I think it's a, an issue that affects so many people on a personal level, and I think they like to hear just like that they're not alone and that there's resources and this is being changed and worked on on a, a holistic way. Cool. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Okay. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We encourage you to reach out to your healthcare provider for more information. As always, check out our Facebook page for resources related to today's show. Every episode is uploaded to our YouTube channel if you'd like to hear it again. If there are any topics you'd like us to explore, please contact us at asoundconstitution at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to A Sound Constitution on CHLY 101.7 FM.